Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our New Testament lesson today is a horrible lesson. Like a lot of the end times lessons about the kingdom of heaven, no one can truly explain everything that we would like to have answered. Today we have a, we have a small town. It's a small, rural, Middle Eastern wedding. The unmarried ladies are burning lamps in the night. They're waiting for the groom to come. It's essentially a parade. They're going to escort the groom. I assume the unmarried of the men of the town are lurking about someplace. Possibly they're coming with the groom. It seems so very exciting, right? The bachelors of the town are losing one of their number and the rest of them go with him to the wedding to mourn with him. I'm sure they're probably a little jealous as well. And on the way, they're met by the young ladies of the town. The young ladies are bringing light to escort them, to show them the way. The ladies bring the lights and the boys bring the noise. Because boys just bring noise, that's just the way they do it. The behavior of all of these in this scene, in the parable, is incomprehensible. We have ten ladies, five of them are foolish, five are wise. They thought that the oil on their lamps would be enough. Then the harshness of the other five who refused to share. I mean, the picture we have here is of a small town. These are all related ladies. They all know each other. They've known each other since they were this big. No, 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 there won't be enough for all of us. Go find, go find a dealer of yourself. It's a small town. There is no dealer. And he is not open. And they will not share. And even if they do share, the bride comes and they escort him. The boys are there and the noise is there and the lights are there, but they start to run out of oil and maybe two or three of the lamps go out in the, in the room. Who cares? What difference does it make? It's a wedding. Everybody's supposed to be happy. Anyway, these foolish ladies go out looking for more oil, and by the time they found it, the groom has come, the door is shut, the party is in full swing. Knock, knock, knock. Let us in. We're late. Truly, I say unto you, I do not know you. What do you mean you don't know me? We went to high school together. It's my cousin over there. It's difficult. It's a difficult story for us because earthly people invited to weddings are rarely so foolish and earthly bridegrooms are, are never so relentless and so strict and so harsh. It's only we who understand the strangeness of God. Only those of us who understand the, incomprehen- the incomparability of the gospel of Jesus are capable of hearing the story for Jesus is not imparting unto us human wisdom. This is not the moral of the story. This is not some quaint picture, no, no moral. Jesus is not speaking of how things are. He's thinking, he's speaking to us about how things are going to be. Of frightening things. Of end things, last things. Jesus speaks about the last things that are yet to come, but they will be. A great judgment day. Jesus says there will be a great judgment. There will be a separation of sheeps and goats. There will be a separation of wheat and weeds. There will be a separation of the foolish and the wise. And it will be. It will be. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. 
who took their lamps to meet a bridegroom. Then the parable will be fulfilled. And then the foolish, the foolishness of the foolish and the wisdom of the wise will be revealed unto the world. And then it'll be too late. At that point, the divine patience will be over. And then the door of the kingdom of heaven will be open for some and it will be shut for some. And of whom it is opened, it will never be closed. And of those it is shut, it will never, ever be opened. Their time is over. Then he himself who told us the parable will speak the words that sound so, so utterly harsh to human ears because they are the words of, in, of divine justice. I tell you, I do not know you. And then the parable will be fulfilled. And he who is holy and just and true of whom the revelation of St. John calls the one who opens and no one shuts and the one who shuts and no one opens. It is he who speaks this gospel. It is he who is true. He of whom we confess every Sunday, of whom we confess within our hearts and we speak with our mouths. It is he who, who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. But do we take this confession seriously? Do we understand the full ramification of what it means? That God separates and judges. We must be clear about this. We should be clear about it not only in our own congregation, but we should be clear about it within the concept of our own lives. For there are millions, millions, I tell you, who claim Christ, who claim Christendom, but they no longer fear a divine judgment. They no longer worry about being judged. They think of God as some doddering fool up in heaven who has no idea what's going on, no idea what, what it's like in the real world. They've confused God with some grandfather. This is perhaps the, the deepest revolution within Western Christendom, probably a, a, a much deeper wound than the so-called natural sciences and, and Darwin and evolution in the Copernicus system. People used to portray the Bible and the people of the Bible as, as childish, as primitive. That the earth was the middle of the universe, that the, that the world was flat. And that there were over this flat earth a heaven, the dwelling place of God, and under the crust of the planet there was a hell. This worldview destroyed by the discoveries of Copernicus, by the way, a good Christian lad. The evolutions of Darwin, they say, overthrew the old way. For us, the earth is no longer the center of the universe, and it's round to boot. The immense space has taken the place of the old heavens. Where is this place in the universe where the one is coming in the clouds? Where is room for heaven, the place of the saints? Where is this, this, this place of hell under the earth, the place of the evil ones, the prison of Satan himself? This so-called childish worldview of its three tiers. This was never the worldview of the Bible. This is never where things were put in the Bible. Yet the Bible does divide the world between heaven and hell and earth of this side and that side and the other side. But Paul and John do not give the same picture views of the world. Neither does Genesis. We can only speak of these things in pictures because they're far above our powers of imagination. 
When John speaks of the throne of God, we know that it's not actually a throne. It just helps us to understand how God is is ruling of the universe. And when Paul speaks about the dwellings of the heavens, it's not like he forgot about 1 Kings 8 that says, the heavens and even the highest of heavens cannot contain you. The colloquial derogative sky daddy has never been our theology. It's never been what we believe. But the foolish prefer to think of it that way. When the New Testament tells that Jesus ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, it means that Jesus shares in the omnipresence of God. He shares in the omnipotence of God, the co-eternity with God, that he is with us as he has always been with us, even when we can't see him. The great leaders of the past have always understood this. They have always understood this. We are not foolish. We are not foolish children. We are not backwards. We're just as deep and astute thinkers as the modern teachers are. This is the great truth of the creation. This is true of the fall into sin. It is true of the incarnation of Jesus and the resurrection and the reconciliation between God and man. This is completely independent of any scientific method because it's what we called in the ancient world metaphysics. It is beyond the physical world. It is philosophy of your nitwit, but theology to the cool kids. For Daniel says, Behold, it is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth. To the church, the confession of faith says, From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. God sits in the judgment seat, and mankind sits in the defendant seat. This is the way it has always been. The modern man would, not, would seek to, to rearrange the chairs. For Luther, the theological theme of his life's work was justification by faith. How do we be justified before God, who's judge of the quick and the dead? But since Leibniz's theological renderings, the chief theological theme of man has been the justification and the defense of God. If God is real, then why is there sorrow in the world? If God is real, why is there injustice in the world? If God is in charge, why do people suffer? If God is love, then how can you speak of the wrath of God? If God truly loves all of mankind, then he couldn't possibly judge anybody for the the evil that they have done. That's not the role of a doddering old grandfather. If men do forgive each other, then why does God require such a horrible, terrible, bloody sacrifice of his son. Does that not make God the Father a child abuser? They seek to set in the place of judgment over God. And with all of these questions, with all of these accusations, modern men put the living God on tribunal before man's reason. This is the actual revolution of Christendom, and this is the actual revolution that we've gone through over the last hundred years. It is an argument of fundamental and absolute ignorant, foolish indignation. A dismissal of heaven and earth, the judgment that it brings. Can man abolish the judgment day? Can we change places with God? Can we dismiss death as if it doesn't exist? Because that's really where the rubber hits the road, right there. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. 
Everybody believes that. Even those who have no interest in Christianity who believes that there is indeed a judgment, if there's not a judgment in the hereafter, you will still be judged upon your legacy. This is why atheists love to talk about legacy so much. Because that is their God. They believe they'll be judged. And you believe you'll be judged. The difference is who's doing the judgment. Even though the philosophers strive to prove that there is no death, Scientists, the wizards of our age, are desperate to download our consciousness into machines, thereby storming the gates of heaven. We can download our, our heads into machines and we'll live forever. It's almost as dumb as the Tower of Babel, but it's the exact same theology. We have the technology. We can do it. We have clay bricks. We can, we can waterproof it with pitch. And there's nothing God can do about it. We'll get there. Just keep building The shaman and the witch doctors are desperate to extend life. Almost to, to the point of, of indefinability. That we'll live forever. We're not. Not in this form, not on this planet. Why would you want to? The earth itself is transient. Modern man knows this. The earth is groaning under the weight of creation. It's either flooding or it's burning or it's poisoned or it's not poisoned. Too much CO2, not enough CO2, entirely too many cow farts. Entirely too many cow farts, right? You want to know why they're suffering in the world? I don't know. Maybe it's because we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year calculating the number of cow farts we have. Maybe we could find a better use for that money. Modern man instinctively knows of death and judgment. The earth remains one massive, monstrous grave into which all the living must go, unto which all the people must go. All of the kingdoms of the world have ever gone. All of the cultures of the world will always go into this one big mass grave. And so the judgment of God and the end of all human history remains. And yet God remains. He who sets the goals and the boundaries of the earth. He who shuts the doors and no one opens. He who opens doors and no one shuts. So the world has forgotten this very serious question of death. My question to you is, is the church of the last 20th century not a lot like these foolish virgins? We confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, that death is coming upon every single one of us, and after death is judgment. Do we take that faith seriously? The foolishness of the foolish virgins is perhaps maybe not also our foolishness. Have we not become tired? We tired. Have we become so sleepy in the Christian faith that we've let our lamps just slowly go out of, of oil, thinking, well, well, we'll get it next time. We'll turn it around at some point. Do we not hear in the powerful cry of the parable, wake up? Wake up before it's too late. Before we hear from the, the mouth of the Lord, truly, truly, I say unto you, I don't know you. Will we listen? 
what it says in the parable. Listen to what he says. And understand the complete and the total comfort of the majesty of the Lord God Almighty, the unshakable faith that we have in our Lord. Here, listen, here and listen unto this, the deepest comfort of the gospel. He who closes the door, no one opens. And he who opens the door, no one closes. And he has opened the door unto you. This is Christ's true office of separating sheep and goats. It is he who judges the living and the dead. And you are alive. You are alive. You're alive in Christ, fed by the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and made alive in baptism. John eleven twenty five. He who believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. The judge of the world is also the reconciler of the world, and no one who believes in him will be lost. No one who believes in Jesus as Savior will be lost. Because they put their faith in Jesus. What a comfort. What a depth and a breadth of salvation. When you think about the dead today, you happen to visit a cemetery. You go out and put pennies on graves or nickels or dimes. Remember this promise. When God opens the door to everlasting life for his children, no one can shut that door but Jesus. He is the way the truth, and the life. And whoever believes in him, though he dies, he will never die. He will live forever. Thus is the judgment. Thus is the rendering of the Lord God Almighty. Be wise in these last days. From Revelation chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the holy and the true, the one who opens and no one closes, the one who closes, no one opens. Savior Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.